10.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hello, Dickie. It's Chucky Dickie. Oh, you dear boy, yes. Oh, Dickie, I can't come over tonight. Oh, no, it's nothing like this. No one else, of course, Dickie. Oh, stop it, Dickie. No, Dickie, I'm going to listen to the Cheat Shepherd show. Well, Dickie, it's pure camp. Yes, it's the real thing, Dickie. It's camp all the way. And the real thing, Dickie, well, you see, he's so serious about things. Oh, it's, you just can't believe it in this day and age. <laughs> uh, oh, Brigitte is back from the vest, and she's lovely. Oh, the little dear, yes. <laughs> well, all right, Dickie, he's going to be on the radio. Yes, it's old-fashioned radio, you know, that old thing. It's one, that's camp itself, you know. Yes. Well, all right, I'll call you after the show, Dickie. Kissy, kissy. Bye, bye-bye. <laughs> sometime in the 3rd century B.C. and has been buried away low these many years for obvious reasons. Uh, I think it deserves a revival. Ancient literature of Old World in China entitled On Birth of Sun Families, when a child is born, want it to be intelligent. I, through intelligence, having wrecked my whole life, 
only hope the baby will prove ignorant and stupid. Then he will crown a tranquil life by becoming a cabinet minister. Ancient Peace of Oriental Wisdom by Su Tung Po. Is designed to say in another way that ignorance is by George Bliss. Oftentimes, as intellectual of all kingdom, I wandered by a riverbank, admiring clods whose stuffed face with flat lice, through nothing but stick air and thumb, and Willisle Dixie, have often admired clod in happiness. I say all to be a dumb, ignorant Met fan in springtime. only epitome of happiness never having thought cross evil thought or perhaps just plain thought cross the tranquil sea of that wheat of the mind sitting like only big flat fog sit quietly and burp to itself and look only at moon in incomprehending eyes only say give me another popsicle may be happy And so tonight, we salute ignorance in all its forms. Must be fun. By George. I'm just walking along with a breeze. Just walking along with a breeze. Rasmus. What radio program? I will warn you the brass figliggy with bronze. Oak Leaf Palm, if you can tell me what radio program used as an interlude uh, between its acts, you know, it had a little, it would start out and it would have a little act and then it would, uh, it would have an interlude to denote the passage of time. And the interlude was the cha 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 Did you ever hear the tone? It's three o'clock in the morning. Uh, do you mind if we salute the British here for their indomitable spirit, please? Serving, saluting the British for indomitable. I, I uh, kind of like that bit of ancient wisdom that has filtered down from the third century B.C. Things have not changed, have they, friends? Well, nothing really does. So, uh, you know, to give you an idea that nothing really does change... Uh, Oh, you, you set that up. Go ahead. All send in there. We now salute the British for their indomitable spirit. And once again, the British Broadcasting Corporation brings you the spirit of the Englishman, whatever he might be. I caught. We'll fight them from the hedgerows. We'll fight them from... The leashes with blood, sweat, and tears. And tonight, we read to you from the London Times, from the In Memoriam section of a late London Times, In Memoriam to British 
men who have passed from this great scene of this hallowed, this wonderful isle. We read from the last issue of the New York Times a note that says in memoriam, Herald of England, killed in action, defending his country from the invader, 14th October, 1066. Please. Immediately following that small notice of memoriam to Harold of England, it reads, Picks in ever-loving memory of John, beloved, who left this earth last year at the age of 74. And Mr. Wace in proud and loving memory of Barbara and Mrs. and Mr. Wace, who died in 1949. Wherever there is an Englishman, there is hope. Once again, the British Broadcasting Corporation, in its third programming services, brings you the spirit of England dedicated to the empire, wherever it might be, whether it be geographical or the empire of the mind. Stay tuned for Lady Winford Waffle Waffle, who follows immediately with her philately program. This is the British Broadcasting Corporation third program service. Doing. Now I think that's pretty good. I really do. Have you? Have you? You, you know, you've seen. You've seen in the newspapers. Uh, uh, the the Times or, or in the Post or the Mirror or the transcript or whatever it is you might read they have uh, they have you know in memoriam people take out little ads for people who have departed this earth uh, this was in a recent issue of the london times just a little note it says in memoriam herald of england killed in action defending his country from the invader 14th october 1066 <laughs> you know only the english really uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see in memoriam Girth, a Gaul who felt, who, who fell defending his, defending the Druid world just outside of Stonehenge late in the fall of 1722 B.C. And uh, died. Well, speaking of that, are you already in there now? All set to, uh, everywhere you look, there's no question about it. Uh, I wish you would please... Uh, uh, dig up for me in there some romantic music, suitable romantic music. I think a little Tchaikovsky would do it. Uh, everywhere you look, there, there's the same spirit, there's the same drive, the same urge. Do you do you go through your life mostly? I, I do. I find myself constantly doing this, just walking around, uh, bugged. Just, you know. <laughs> I mean, just generally by it all, you know, it's it's uh, the, the crud drifts down on you, and people keep getting you in the short rib with the elbow, and little fat ladies keep jumping in cabs. You have the whole schlemuel, you know, it's getting more and more. It's uh, it's just the quality of uh, of what it is, the great, fantastic sense of dissatisfaction with it, 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 and I think this is really uh, one of the great bases for large numbers of marchers. Uh, protesters of one kind or another, and I'm not putting down any particular 
cause or any particular ideology or, or mythologies that somebody wants to protest for. But I think at the basis of much of protest must come a general dissatisfaction of mankind with his lot. I mean, in general, for all time, forever and ever and ever. Well, can you imagine uh, Sung Po Tung sitting down in the 3rd century B.C. and writing that? He was bugged. He was bugged. 3rd century B.C., you know, a long time ago. I have, a, I have one here. Listen to this one. Uh, if you've got the, a little romantic music. Here, here uh, if you think uh, that, 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 that being bugged is a new situation, please give me a little romantic music there, please. Here it comes. I must assume my 18th century or my 19th century type of diction now. The University of Michigan, the leading college of the West. This is a quote from Harper's Weekly, New York, Saturday, January 9th, 1864, during the Civil War. The University of Michigan, the leading college of the West, has some 800 students. 3,500 of them, the fair general proportion of copperheads to true men in the free states, lately went to see Valigdigan and were regaled with rebel sympathy. They put their performance in the papers. It echoed throughout the country. The young men then are traitors and accept Valandingham as a leader and abuse of their country and government as their doctrine. So many a man wondered. But the students of the university have answered the question for themselves. They held a meeting and passed this resolution with others of the truest tone. And here is a resolution passed by the University of Michigan student body in 1864. Resolved that we feel deeply concerned and justly indignant that the University of Michigan, whose unflinching support of the Union has been so proudly attested by its long army list, and the untimely sacrifice of many of its noblest and most promising sons should be brought under the unmerited censure of the press of other states by the ill-concerted holiday freak of 35 adventurers seeking notoriety through such disloyal demonstrations and who represent neither the honor, the intelligence, nor patriotism of the 800 men who constitute its membership. Do you know who... The Landingham was who these kids were, were applauding. Well, C.L. Valandingham was a famous Ohio congressman who opposed the Civil War. He opposed all war and demanded immediate peace without terms. And there were thousands of college demonstrators all over the country who followed him right down to the last, right down to the last bellow. Now, you know, that's a fascinating little piece. You know, I, I tell you why. I think, I think uh, many of us are bugged, especially when, uh, during, during the time of college. And uh, again, I'm not... Because, you know, you're immediately put down by large numbers of people if you ever say that there could be anything universal in anything that's going on. So, well, you don't understand, you're not with it, you're not, you know, hip and so on. Uh, so it always was. But I suspect that at the time you're in college, more than any other time of your life, you feel that great, that great contradiction, not contradiction really so much as that great conflict of your private goals and aims being impinged upon by the outside world, which incidentally is a problem that bugs people all of their lives, but increasingly 
it, it gets to be more and more of an increasingly accepted thing as you get older. But at the point when you're in college, you are aiming for a goal. Very few men out of college really are aiming for a goal. They're just hanging out to the side of the lifeboat. <laughs> and hope, you know, they just hope the damn thing doesn't sink. But, uh, but when a kid is in college, he's got all these, you know, he's got his own personal involvement going. And suddenly the outside world impinges. And it looks to be a great uh, intrusion on your private life. Uh, and at no other time during your life is that so, really. When you're out of college, you're part of that world, and you're a part of that great world that intrudes. I think that's the beautiful thing about being in school. You're so insulated. And you know, the guy in school generally yells about being insulated. He's mad at that. And yet he wants to be insulated. Curious problem with that, that great conflict. And so it's a, speaking of conflict, this is WOR AM speaking of intrusion. AM and FM, New York. Hit the button there. Speaking of intrusion. Wow. Like the taste of real draft beer? Now you can take it home with you. Peels did it. Put real draft beer in 12-ounce cans. Try it yourself. You'll agree. It's really draft beer in a can. And it needs no refrigeration until you're ready to drink it. The only thing we didn't put in the can is the atmosphere of your favorite tavern. Oh, wow, wow. Cut it out. Knock it off. Yelling and howling. Crying out loud. I'm just drifting along with a breeze. Oh, we have here... Uh, Oh, here's a here's a little funny bit I wanted to read to you. Here it is. Here it is. Wait. Yeah, it says Shepherd. Oh, he says uh, this is from Doylestown, PA. This is the Rover spot. You're all right. It's uh, so I'll give you a little clue in there. It's Doylestown, PA. It's a kid. He says Shepherd. I listen to your show every night. And he says uh, I'm in Doylestown. He says, Well, sir, the other night I was snooping around the Keystone Motors car lot, and I happened upon a Rover 2000. Me and my buddy. Well, as we were walking around the car, I started to read that piece of paper with all the parts of the car on it listed. He says, well, I came to the part that said, finest English hide, bucket seats, disc brakes, servo assisted, etc. Well, I want to tell you, Shepard, what a rich guy to be able to pay for all those options. Shepard, was I surprised to find that they all come as standard equipment. Well, anyway, me and my buddy are walking around feeling the car when all of a sudden, out of the bushes, two fuzz jumped out. Put the whammy on us. For case in a job, he says, Shepard, you know what you can do with your Rover 2000. <laughs> the pursuit of beauty, kid, has never been easy. And uh, for those of you who uh, would like to know about this car, this is the beautiful Rover 2000, an English machine of surpassing quality. Uh, send me a note here to WOR 1440 Broadway, and we'll send you pictures of that heap. Right? It's the Rover 2000. The button, please, Bob. Gene Shepard explains oh. why he's such a faithful New York Times reader. To begin with, uh, every time pictures. I pick up another newspaper, I always feel uh, vaguely left out. Uh, for example, I was looking through the New York Times, and way back on page 32, there was a long story that was headed, Scientists Discover 97% of the Solar System missing. That's true. I immediately rushed out and bought all the other papers. And do you know that not one even mentioned it? Let me tell you, if you want to know about what's really happening in this universe, you better stick with the New York Times. I'm a New York Times man for life. And one day, it's going to be a Times man who discovers what happened to that other 97%. <laughs> Read the Times. They go all the way.
Discover today what you've been missing. The New York Times. If you're without it, you're not with it. For home delivery, call Murray Hill 70700. That's MU70700. That's a very nice announcement. It's a very talented person there that did that. Extremely talented. Uh, speaking of uh, colleges, I have a note here that uh, tomorrow night I'm going to be at St. Peter's University over in Jersey City. And did I hear a boo then? We got a sore head in there on the control board <laughs> who goes to Seton Hall. <laughs> Chauvinism rears its ugly head no matter where you go. Uh, we're going to be over at St. Peter's, and it's at 8 o'clock. And the reason I, I put this on is because a lot of people write to me afterwards, and they're bugged when they say, you didn't mention you were going to be at this place, and we could have made it. But uh, it's going to be at St. Peter's University, and that is in Jersey City. We will be at Deneen Auditorium at 8 p.m. And uh, they're setting up the pipes, and they've got the tank already set up. And uh, it's going to be the first college performance of my underwater ballet. And uh, they they have a few tickets available at the door. I don't know what they... What is it, for their library fund or something over there? I don't know. Anyway, it's going to be at St. Peter's University at Jersey City. I was there a long time ago one time. Yeah. I remember that. It was very early in the morning. It was some kind of a breakfast. And on the way out, after we finished the breakfast, there was a fist fight. I remember that. In the in the hall there. And I got involved. Oh, wow. What a time. I'll never forget that. My name doesn't matter. <laughs> Let's just say I'm a highly paid executive of the Ludens Company. I must report to you that our campaign to discourage people from chewing Ludens cough drops is a partial failure. We've tried every way we know to get you chewers to dissolve Ludens cough drops slowly so the medication can trickle down slowly to give you temporary relief from coughs due to colds and minor sore throat. What can we do to make you understand... Should we engineer Luden's cough drops so that they make embarrassing sounds when you chew one? This is like great this? sounds. Listen to this. <laughs> Should we publish the names of known chewers? Those of you out there who chew Luden's cough drops, please write us your suggestions. Address your letter to me, Mr. X. The Luden's Never Chew Society, Luden's, Reading, Pennsylvania. Mm. I'm just uh, drifting along with a breeze, uh, drifting along, uh, just drifting along with a breeze. Hey, you know, uh, if you give me a little more of that romantic music, I, I have a thing here. Uh, the spirit, no, not yet, not yet, Bob, no, no. The spirit of protest is in all of us, all the time. It's always been there and always will be there. In fact, this is what causes great religions, great theologies. It causes fantastic uh, movements of one kind or another. What do you think the children's crusades were? The same bit, you know, uh, and and it's 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 as much a part of mankind's makeup as it is, say, the makeup of the butterfly to go out looking for some pollen, uh, to go out and make the scene among the among the buttercups. It's just part of the scene, and I think I think uh, that the that the uh, problem of protest. I'm talking about individual protest inside of me, just you know, you, me, all of us walking around. And by the way, a lot of people think that uh, that they're the only ones that feel protest. They're the only ones that are bugged. Or they're the only ones that really have enough sensitivity or drive or vitality and all the rest of the jazz to, to feel strongly about life. This is one of the great myths. It's another kind of Superman myth, you know. 
Although it's not, it's not the same thing as the old Hitlerian Superman of blood, uh, the, the racial Superman. It's the Superman philosophy of super uh, sensitivity. It's, uh, I am more sensitive than thou. Uh, I am far more, uh, far more concerned than thee. It's the, uh, it's the more bugged than thee attitude, you know. <laughs> and I, I don't know, you know, whether that's true. I think a lot of people have learned to hide it. A lot of people have learned to, to, to cover it. Now, what are they bugged at? Nobody knows, really. But yet, periodically in our life, we settle on a thing that we figured that if that was cleared up, we'd be okay. It's a kind of, uh, you know, there's a medical term that has, uh, has to do with that. And that's the localization of an infection. And uh, sure, if somebody has a general, uh, a general ailment, an ailment that is slowly debilitating him, he generally picks on one place to concentrate his, uh, to, to vent his spleen on. In other words, he will scratch this place, and that will make him feel better. Uh, this little thing uh, that's growing out of his hand, that's the thing that he will work on. Uh, we want to focus and, and concentrate. But you know, I think that, the, that and maybe, maybe the reason I'm talking like this is because I went down on business here a couple of days ago. Uh, I went down to Florida, and I was down there for a couple of days. By the way, that's another thing. It's fascinating to find out how people can misinterpret totally uh, to, to fit their own concept of what things should be. Uh, everything that other people do. Uh, so I'm on tape here a couple of days ago, and I immediately get a later letter from somebody, and the lady says, Dear Shepherd, you sure can tell that you're slowing up, boy. You sure can tell that you're taking it easy because you taped the show last week. Little realizing that taping a show is more work than not taping a show. I wonder how many people know that. That doing a show live is far easier, uh, both philosophically, psychologically, and technically, than doing a show that's taped. So when you tape a show, that's a real drag, man. That's a lot of work. And generally, I'll, I'll, I'll tape a show only when I have to leave town or I'm going someplace to do, a, to do an appearance or something of that nature. It has nothing to do with saying, well, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to double my work like 45 times and do nothing but tape, you know. <laughs> and by the way, the, you know, there's an interesting psychological thing about that. Do you know that many people feel when you've taped a show, you haven't really done a show? That somehow when you've taped a show, you've opted. You've, you've, you've taken the option of not doing a show that day, uh, which is exactly opposite to the truth. However, when I went, uh, I went down to Florida for a couple of days, and I had never really done that. The only time I'd ever been in a place like Florida uh, was something like being in, in the Army there, you know, something of that nature. And I'm not in Florida maybe three hours. I'm walking down the street in Fort Lauderdale. And the sun is beaming down on me. The temperature is 80 degrees. And I have, I have stopped in the hotel room and I put on a sports shirt. And I see the clouds drifting overhead. And I look out on the street and you can see people casually driving along. And they've got that, that wonderful, bland, easy look of people who ain't going no place. And where they're going really, if, the, if you press them hard, is they're going down to that joint where they're going to get the their orange juice for 10 cents. Or maybe they're going to go and sit on a bench for a while. They've got that look, you know. And all the, sh the cars are shiny. There's no dirt. Uh, they've even pro apparently done something to the dogs in that town. <laughs> At least they're not leaving any evidence around of having been there. And so you walk along and you can smell the ocean. I am not 
there 20 minutes and I'm sitting in a place there and I'm drinking a, a, a tall gin Collins or something and I'm, I'm, I'm suddenly very bugged and I can't figure out what it is and I'm bugged and I'm looking out and the next day I wake up and it's even more beautiful the sun comes up and it's even, even more idyllic well about three days go by and I'm on the plane back I step off the plane at, at, uh, at Kennedy Airport and the first thing that hits me was that hard, cool, angry wind whistling between those barracks-like apartments over there in the Bronx. You know, those awful-looking places that look like concentration camps. And the wind is whistling hard and cold and angry. And I'm bugged. Ooh. Oh, boy, am I bugged. And I... <laughs> and all of it then started to, started to accrue. And, and within about an hour, I began to see all kinds of... Oh, fantastic collection of minor irritations that go to make up the daily life that you accept completely without question unless you have something by which it can be compared. In other words, I spent two or three days in paradise. Literally. Paradise in the, in the truest sense of the word. Nobody's going anywhere in Fort Lauderdale. I mean, nobody. <laughs> they just walk around, you know. And that really is a kind of paradise. That that uh, that the sun is there and it's soft and warm and and uh, everything is uh, it's it's uh, cheap, really, comparatively. And, and life is just uh, soft and easy. You get in a cab and the guy sort of looks back at you and says, "Well, where'd you like to go?" So well, I don't know. Just go a little bit. He says, "Okay." <laughs> and it's that casual. It's kind of paradise. And, I, and I'm thinking, maybe perhaps that's one of the reasons why so many people, including me, I was in the same boat when I was in school, so many people find themselves with a constant sense of discontent when they're in college. College is a kind of paradise, you know. It really is. College is a kind of paradise where, yeah, yeah and a lot of people don't recognize it, you know, it is, where your where you're deepest... Well, your deepest concern is whether you're going to pass the oral next Tuesday. That's kind of like playing a game, you know. Oral exams, little exams, little exams when they pass little blue books around. And little things like doing problem 1, 3, 7, and 9 at the end of page 23. That's all like kind of working the crossword puzzle in the New York Times. All they can do is say you're wrong. <laughs> And it's really a sort of paradise. Everything is, is geared to you when you're in college, whether you know it or not. And you sit there, and people tell you things, and they entertain you. And, and the, Life is great. It, uh, and you don't want to concede this, though. Or you, you can't concede it. Because generally, when you're in paradise, you don't know it. You really don't. And there's a lot of guys walking around in places like Fort Lauderdale that say, Ah, yeah, if I could only get out of this hole. You know, get up to Brooklyn for a while. You know, get to Queens for a while, maybe. You know, uh, and you, you really don't recognize it when you're there. Uh, I'm sure that the people, the munchkins, walking around in Oz, didn't know they were in Oz. Only Dorothy knew they were in Oz. When Dorothy came from Kansas. Have you ever been to Kansas? No wonder she wanted to stay in Oz. I've been in Kansas. You know? And so so I'm, I'm convinced, too, that... that uh, that the that the that the old problem of hell and paradise is really a true one. That when you're when you're just drifting along, college is a fantastic world when you look back on it. It's a world 
and, and it's a world that is so so really uh, so so idyllic in a in a very basic sense. So uh, because you see, uh, to me, a true paradise is when you're at a position in your physical and your uh, psychological and philosophical setup that you're really able to partake of life, and yet life is not partaking of you. That's true paradise. In other words, a guy who's in college is old enough to, to enjoy all the things that an adult enjoys. Oh, sure, most of them. You know, they, they, uh, uh, I'm talking about biologically, physically, every other way. And yet, the repercussions of those things have not yet impinged on anybody. And so they're literally at a paradisical stage in life. Fantastic uh, point in existence. And so naturally, all the things that lie outside of paradise seem to have an uncommon menace. Uh, they have a fantastic menace. And by the way, a menace which is multiplied uh, more and more by the looming quality of that thing out there. That out there. Now that thing can be a combination of many things. Fear of growing up. That's a real fear today. Uh, taking your place, which you have to, you, you can't fight it. Uh, ultimately, there's such a thing as, as uh, well, a geometrical progression. There's such a thing as uh, numbers piling up. Uh, this, is a, uh, this is a problem. And so you, th there's that fear. There's that fear of, of, uh, of losing paradise. You know, many guys will quit college rather than have paradise lose them. In short, you have a sense that you did it yourself. And uh, because you, it's like committing suicide, you know? That, that uh, many a guy will commit suicide rather than have. Have you ever wondered when, you, you know, you read in the paper and you hear about some guy, he commits suicide and it says that he was worried about ill health. Now, it didn't say that he had ill health. Now, now what, uh, you know, what can a disease do to a guy more than kill him, ultimately? So he decides to do it himself rather than let the disease do it, say. Uh, it's an interesting twist in our mind. And, and so you'll find that many people are so afraid of being out of that paradisical world of college that they quit college. Now, it sounds like a contradiction, but it really isn't. Any more than a contradiction than, say, the guy that jumps off the, off the 23rd uh, window cell ledge because he's decided that one thing he isn't going to do, he isn't going to be a financial failure. That's an interesting thought, you know, a guy jumping off of a window ledge because he doesn't want to be a financial failure. You know, men, and many of them do. Now, what can happen to you as a result of being a financial favorite more than being dead? The total financial failure is a man who starves to death. I mean, really does starve to death. And so rather than even remotely approach that state, he will leap off the windowsill. Now, again, there's another problem. Does the guy who leaps off the windowsill ever really conceive of his life ever actually ending? I mean, when he jumps, does he really think of himself as killing himself? Or is it done as an act of defiance, which somehow connotes a continuation of his existence? Is there such a thing as an act of defiance when you're gone? It's a good question. You know, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a, you know, now what we're getting into here is really that when a guy quits college, does he really conceive of himself as being out of it? I think one of the reasons why so many dropouts out of college today stay on the campus 
Are you aware that this is one of the big growing problems? That, that campuses all over the country are filled with millions of guys who have quit college but won't leave. In other words, uh, they've, they've committed suicide, literally, but they want to stay on to watch the body. And uh, <laughs> so have they quit? No, I don't think so. They have not left paradise. But it's not paradisical enough, you see. That's the trouble with paradise. It's like arriving at heaven, you see, and it turns out that they got no hot water. And you hate cold showers. Now, uh, since a college is supposed to be paradisical, and really is in most people's thought and mind before they go there, when they, then they find out that, they're, that it's hard work, too. You know, it's really bugging them because this guy continually insists on them coming in the next day with the translation. He has to keep coming in with problem one, three, and nine done. He won't. This this then becomes oppressive, and in paradise, anything is oppressive. Sure, in 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 Fort Lauderdale, they complain when the orange juice is not quite sweet enough, even though it costs three cents a glass. Uh, and so, anything anything in paradise. Uh, in short, let's put it this way: in paradise, irritation is multiplied by four million. In paradise, not outside, in paradise. And so ultimately, the guy is, is bugged. He's in a, maybe a sophomore year, and he finds increasingly that this klutz that's standing up in front of him keeps asking for, you know, pass the blue books back. Well, let's have the translation then by Friday, Charlie. Let's ante it up now. Come on, let's pony it up. Let's go here. So ultimately, he, he, if he's of a certain temperament, he will quit all that side of college and do so under the guise of they're oppressing me. Meaning, of course, they're requiring things of me, which is certainly a bad scene from the beginning. And, and yet he doesn't want to really leave college. That's what he doesn't want to leave. He wants to stay there. He wants to be part of the scene, you know. He wants to be down there at the old quad. He wants to hang around the old, uh, you know, the old red rooster. And, uh, <laughs> and so now they have a growing problem of, oh, sure, that very few, you know, you, when you read about student demonstrators, a tremendous percentage of them are not students any more than I am or you are. That's right. They call themselves. Uh, and so even after you've quit, you may be 30 years old. You may, you may have quit uh, nine years ago. If you stay on the campus, you continue to call yourself a student. And so this is a this is a whole new big movement. Of course, it's been going on for a long time. I, I remember the first time I met one of these guys. I'll tell you, uh, did I ever tell you that story that that uh, I was uh, by the army? I was sent to a college uh, briefly with a lot of other guys, and they were assigning roommates, and I was assigned this guy. And that uh, we were at the University of Chicago very briefly, and I was assigned this this character. And that. Uh, he was an elderly man, you know, or I mean, a really elderly guy, as far as I was concerned. And, and, I, and he, he's assigned to my, he's assigned at the, in my little room there. And uh, we got talking. He was a very hip type and, and uh, from the East somewhere. One of the very first uh, you know, contacts I had with the Eastern forever student type. And we got involved talking. And uh, we'd lie there and he'd be across the room. We'd be sitting there and, and shooting the breeze. And I'd be talking about my life. He'd be talking about his. And he's a student. He'd been going to, uh, going to uh, and not really going to school. He says, oh, no, no. He's, he, he, he's living on campus somewhere. 
So he was very early, before his time. And he had been in, in school something like 9 or 10 or 11 or 12 years, uh, going from campus to campus and living uh, on campuses with various friends of his that were in graduate school one place or another. Now suddenly he's in the Army. And uh, I asked him what, you know, what he was going to do when he got out. He was going to go back. As far as I know, he's still on campus, still making the scene, drifting around, writing broadsides, and uh, still putting on his card student. And they're probably uh, <laughs> making noises like students and carrying uh, signs, one thing or another. But uh, I, I, I can see that it's not easy to leave Paradise. It really isn't. And my little trip down to Florida, in a nutty way, pointed out to me again, uh, you have to keep being reminded of things. You're just a human being. We're all this way. That the human being is one of the most adaptable of creatures anywhere in the universe. Uh, there, In fact, this is the reason that many zoologists will give you for the reason that we are now the preeminent. We're the top dog. We're the top creature, uh, at least on our particular globe, is our adaptability. Now, a part of that problem of adaptability is the ability to uh, somehow uh, not only adapt, but to absorb the conditions in which you're living to the point where you don't even recognize them or notice them. Have you ever wondered how a person could live for three years in, say, a concentration camp? We do live in a concentration camp. Oh, yeah. And at the end of... Uh, uh, I've talked to many of them who were in concentration camps, and they say at the end of about two years, it's your life. You don't even think, you know, they just go on and just do it and live. Did you see King Rat? That was about that problem. These guys had totally adapted themselves to a prison existence uh, it was really worse than that. It was a war, uh, a, a prisoner of war compound in the in the tropics, uh, the uh, the Japanese, and they had totally adapted themselves to this. And and I I suspect that uh, that this problem of adopting or adapting yourself to uh, current conditions is one of the things that most of us have to fight constantly throughout our lives to the point where I'm sure that large numbers of men who every night get on a train and go to Darien, and their biggest concern, I've seen guys in my own uh, world around here, uh, that, uh, that they change slowly, until eventually the biggest thing in their life, it's like Captain Ahab catching the train, that catching the train syndrome. That is the big crisis in their life every day. And nothing else happens that even remotely has as much interest to them as that. And they don't recognize they're dead. They're empty. And they spend their lives just uh, having that little momentary triumph of catching the 534 every day. And where does it take them? Well, it takes them to Darien. What do they do then? Well, they sit down and eat. And then what do they do? Well, they sit in front of the television set or they fall asleep and, and dream of catching an endless succession of 524s somewhere in that fantastic BBD&O heaven up there in the sky where all guys are given three martinis on their way to the Darien station. You know? It's adaption. You adapt yourself totally to this this nutty existence. And so I'm walking along the streets here in New York and the temperature is about five degrees above zero and the cab drivers are spitting out of the window at my at my shoes, you know, and yelling and hollering and they're digging their elbows into my into my short ribs. And shortly after I'm back home, I'm right back in the swing and I'm digging my elbows and guys short ribs and yelling and hollering it's all part of that, that that wonderful quality that mankind has of adapting himself to the scene he's in and it's only when you're in paradise 
that you recognize it. And for that reason, I suspect a lot of guys, five minutes after they get out of college, forget what they were protesting about. Because they ain't in paradise anymore. You know? Oh, man. We salute all of you out there who are in Oz. Stick with it. Maybe you'll one day find a wizard who ain't a humbug. Although I doubt it.